She's American. 1975, right here on Radio 3. As we go into Morning Brews afternoon, it's 13 minutes past 12 right now. Join us on Facebook Live because it's that time of the week the icing gets firmly splodged onto the cake as we say hi and good day to James Marsh. Boom, you're on. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big week. It's a big sci-fi week, actually. Oh, yeah. uh, two big... Uh, highly anticipated science fiction movies out this weekend. We've got Nope, which is the new movie from Jordan Peele, which uh, I'm sure people are very excited to uh, to go see this weekend. Also, there's a big Korean sort of time travel alien invasion genre mashup called Alienoid. Yeah. With an all-star cast, so we'll get to that as well. Also, we've got a brand new Disney Plus Yay. Marvel show because there haven't been nearly enough of them so far. And this one is uh, She-Hulk. This, this one is stretching it. I mean, in a good way. In spandex, yeah. yes, purple spandex. Shan, uh, Shan, 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 She-Hulk attorney at law. That is cool. So we'll get into that. Uh, and then, if needs be, there is a uh, Spanish thriller that's on Netflix as well that we can talk about. Um, there are some new stories that I wanted to get into, though. A um, couple of announcements. The Academy is finally apologizing, apologizing to <laughs> Sachin Littlefeather yeah. almost 60 years after uh, she was sent up to the stage to decline Marlon Brando's Best Actor Oscar for The Godfather on his behalf in order to make a speech about the ill treatment of Native Americans, uh, mainly on screen and in Hollywood in general. Yeah. Um, which was met at the time with a lot of aggression. I bet. You know, there were reports that John Wayne tried to, like, physically assault her as she while she was on stage. <clears throat> Clint Eastwood um, made jokes at her expense during the same ceremony. And by and large, it has just been sort of relegated to being which, a bit of a... Kind which of year split. was it again? Remind me. Well, it would have been in early 73, because the, yeah, um, well. the Godfather came out in 72. This is it. This is it. I mean, and now, these days, it's just a bit of triv, really. It's just like, you know, what happened when Marlon Brando won his Oscar. Um, however, you know, it, it really did shine a light on some quite serious topics, which all too late are finally being addressed mm. uh, with this so public he was apology. Avant garde boy there, really, wasn't he? Brando? Mm. Yeah, well, he was always a bit of a. Uh, Weirdo. You know, a renegade wanted to upset the apple cart, as it were. You know, he had a, a cause that he wanted to shed some light on. Yeah. And that was certainly one way of doing it. But whether or whether it was the right way of doing it or not, you know, remains to... Well, he was well, doing what they do now debate. kind of thing. I mean, that was well before its time in terms of a play out. Actually, it's funny you say that because only like a couple of years before him, George C. Scott had rejected his Oscar for Patton. Uh, but I don't think that was on political grounds. I'll probably be told that I'm wrong now, and, and it was well, something very political. Uh, well, that is that is evident. Um, the, the suffice to say that they are now sort of publicly apologising. I think she's been invited to the Academy sometime next month, and she's mm -hmm. going to sort of give a speech about it. And it's interesting that it's happening now because it kind of, in a roundabout way, ties in with one of the themes uh, that make the foundation of Jordan Peele's uh, new movie. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, also in the news, Jonah Hill, you know, he's quite a popular two-time Oscar-nominated comedian turned serious actor, has made a statement saying that he is stepping away from 
the publicity tour of his upcoming film. We don't know exactly how long he's going to be away for. He, he seemed to be struggling with anxiety and various kind of issues for a little while. And he made a documentary about mental health, which is a, by, by making a sort of self-portrait about his own mental health yeah. issue. And apparently yeah. it, it stars him and his therapist uh, going going through his own sort of dealings with uh with anxiety and what have you uh but he has also said in the same statement that he is not going to do any publicity for the festival for for the film which has already been booked into a major festival that has yet to be announced yeah um and also a couple of other like comedy projects that he's got coming up he just wants to sort of take some time i mean it makes sense because it could have been the reason it's often the reason why these these guys and girls get stressed out in the first place because of all the publicity and press and stuff so that makes sense it is. I mean, if you are of a slightly sort of nervous disposition, it's not really ideal, uh, an ideal environment for you, is it? Um, no. So I completely understand. You know, it had been, you know, people have been aware of the fact that he was getting increasingly kind of uncomfortable in those kind of situations for a while. Um, not least people always talk, wanted to talk to him about his weight and things like that, which was going kind of up yeah. and down and all over the place. And he was like, well, it's none of your business. You know, you don't, you're not allowed to talk to women about that anymore. So why should you feel comfortable talking to me about it? Good point. And various things like that. Um, so anyway, so yes, yeah, so he just made the statement earlier this week that he's stepping away. Uh, so we'll see what comes of that. I hope that doesn't mean that he's going into retirement or anything like that. Cause I think he's a very accomplished actor, a very funny guy. And, uh, has a long career ahead of him should he choose to continue it. We, we will see. Uh, the big bit of news this week, however, is the death of Wolfgang Peterson. Mm -hmm. Big German filmmaker made his name with Das Boot. Yeah. Uh, one of the best World War II movies, if not war movies, if not submarine movies of yeah. all time. Um, and he was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for that. And it led to a very uh, healthy career in Hollywood doing a number of kind of blockbusters. I think the most well-known movies that he did, he had a good run in the nineties in the line of fire with Clint Eastwood. Um, they'd air force one with Harrison Ford and then um, the perfect storm with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, which is one of those movies. It's one of those movies, a bit like Shawshank redemption that everybody that, that everybody sort of seems to like everybody that's seen it seems to like and it's a film that i'd actually never seen i'd always just kind of skipped it well there's a thing for you you know it's probably a steve one steve one this the movies you will happily watch over and over again that's, that's mm. it's in there isn't it it is i mean i sat down and actually watched it this week and, and you can see why people like it you know it's got a great cast you know it's this big sort of blue collar celebration of um you know man against the elements yeah, kind yeah. of thing um, and it's it's the film that arguably made George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg bona fide A-list stars. <laughs> They'd both obviously been... I mean, George Clooney had been around for ages and never quite made a break, and then he did ER, and everybody knew he was, but then his first few movies weren't that uh, well-received. And then I think this was probably the first real proper big box office hit that he had yeah. and it kind of cemented his position and Mark Wahlberg was coming up around the same time he'd got some acclaim for Boogie Nights they had just done a movie called Three Kings Together which didn't really I set the box the, office yeah. on fire it was kind of fun though wasn't it? it it was really cool sort of a look at the first Gulf War what Desert Storm and uh, the aftermath of that but uh but yeah no, this is just you know small town New England guys go out on a shipping shipping uh, trip that they shouldn't fishing trip that they shouldn't have because there was weather conditions and all the rest of it and they yeah. weren't well rested and you know they get 
faced with a kind of uh, per- perfect storm, quite frankly. The storm of the century, as it was called. I mean, I really, I think people really would have enjoyed it, but it's simple as well, that. Well, they did, yeah, um, and continue to do so. It's well, it probably pops up on TV quite a lot. I mean, the action is great, the visual effects are great, even t- by today's standards, it's actually quite effective and authentic. Um, it gets a bit hokey and a bit sentimental, and there's a kind of slightly kind of sort of Christian undertone in there that I don't think it necessarily needed. But um, as a, you know, as a disaster movie, in the best sense of the word, it uh, it certainly delivers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dust Boot, James, talk a bit about that. Um, the guy, I was listening to something on the radio about it the other day, it's a rare film that wasn't translated into English. Somehow it just didn't need it. And that's that. Yeah, yeah, it the was. Title, it I was... Mean. Uh, that's right. I mean, officially, it just means the boat, yeah. as in a U-boat. But it, it was—it's known around the world as Das Boot, um, and it was a huge sort of international success. I mean, it's available in a couple of different versions. Okay. Uh, there's a three-hour movie version. I think there was a slightly trimmed-down international release of it that's about two and a half hours. But there was also a sort of six-hour expanded mini-series version that played on German TV originally, mm. Mm. Um, which I have seen. And is is fantastic, and uh, you know, just adds a whole lot more great stuff to what's already great stuff. For those who don't know, it is um, life on a World War Two U boat, essentially, yeah. uh, captained by Jurgen Prochnov, that people will recognise from David Lynch's Dune and Beverly Hills Cop Two, among other things. Um, and it's one of the best war movies. It's, it's a masterclass in claustrophobia. Just as they That's go the point, from, isn't it? from one uh, near-death experience to another, there, there are moments where they have to keep like turning off the engines and letting, letting let let themselves sink to the ocean floor and just sit on the ocean floor as they can hear without any equipment, but just through the vibrations of the water, they can hear other ships pass above them, la- you know, mines being dropped near them and all the rest of it. It's if you like sort of movies about strung out sweaty men in confined conditions uh you know suffering <laughs> for extended periods of time uh this is That's probably it. the best example of that wolfgang peterson also did the never-ending story did you like that yes he did he did um then that, bizarrely that's a film that i revisited yeah. i think for the first time since i was a kid so i remember when it came out i was very young but the book the book was everywhere and um everybody saw the film I remember me and my sisters being very enthusiastic about it. Um, but it's one of those, I hadn't revisited it since. It came out in that boon of um, <laughs> sort of fantasy, dark fantasy movies that came out in the early 80s, along with sort of Krull and uh, Time Bandits and Conan the Conan Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, and the yeah. Legend and Labyrinth and all these movies that came out. It was right in the middle of all that. And I'd forgotten quite how dark it is, quite how sort of unflinchingly European it still is. Because it's very, and it's very much... It, a German movie. Mm. It's far more of a sort of German production rather than a Hollywood production than you remember. I think it was a, this sort of contrivance where it was made in Europe, but they chose to make it in English uh, in order to sort of capitalise on on Peterson's success and on the book and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, it's probably best remembered for The Dragon, yep. which just looks like a big white fluffy dog yep. and is far cuter than scary and the, and the little boy who flies around on, on top of it. But um, it's yeah, it's I think it's on Netflix or it certainly was Bound recently. 
Yeah, and the sound. And it's worth, and of course, it's the worth another look. The, oh, who sung that? Do you remember? I cannot. Um, um, um No, Lamar. Oh, Lamar wow, Kajagoogoo. Yeah. Lamar from Lamar from Kajagoogoo. Was it Tangerine Dream that did the score? It's, it you quite got me on possibly that one. is one of those. <laughs> yeah, Lamar. They, uh, they were scoring everything right around that time. Yeah. But, uh, that's a good one. I do. There is one. Uh, well, there, you know, there's a couple of other good movies that he did. You know, he did Troy, which isn't bad with Brad Pitt. Um, Enemy Mine, which is a nice update of Robinson Crusoe, essentially. In, yeah, yeah. In di- and and a bit of Hell on the Pacific in deep space with Dennis Quaid and Lewis Gossett Jr. as, a, as an alien. But I think the one sort of really unsung Wolfgang Pizza movie is Shattered. Oh yeah. Which is a movie from. Um, 1991 with Tom Berenger and Greta Skaki and uh, Bob Hoskins in it, um, where a guy comes out of like a coma yeah. and he's had a car crash and he's been horribly disfigured and he's got amnesia and his wife is by his bedside and he doesn't remember who he is and he's being told who he is, uh, but he doesn't really know and he has to kind of sort of investigate the circumstances of his own near death essentially uh-huh. and there are lo- lots of really kind of pretty cool twists and turns i remember i saw it when it came out and i don't think i've seen it since but it was um it was largely sort of brushed aside i think there was another bigger movie with a similar plot that came out around the same time and everybody focused on that one but it's pretty decent shattered is so if there was one that people might not have seen that i recommend it would definitely be that mm. you got a favorite i mean a personal actual favorite it probably is Das Boot, to be honest. You know, that is a banger. That is a real banger. But I do have a soft spot for In the Line of Fire. You know, um, Clint Eastwood, John Malkovich, going going head to head. You know, it's a, it's a presidential assassination attempt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood is the, is the Secret Service guy and John Malkovich in full blow. This, this was when both of them were having a sort of, uh, well, for for Clint Eastwood, it was a real kind of resurgence into the mainstream, into <clears throat> sort of contemporary big budget movies. Uh, it was a rare thing at the time that he wasn't directing this one himself. He was by this stage, he was pretty much directing everything that he was in. Brilliant. And for John Malkovich, um, he, he, it was when his first his star was really like first booming in, again into the mainstream. It's where you you know you you hit a few critical hits, and then they just give you the bad guy role in the next big blockbuster and in exactly that moment for John Malkovich. And he, and he got an Oscar nomination for it, I think. It's so funny that you're talking about a period in history, a period in film history, where all the people who are stellar famous now, you know, oh, first break, first big break, you've mentioned several names now, and, you know, one day, mm. one day they're unknown-ish, and the next day, bang. And you're talking about that period. It's really cool. Well, this, this is also a very sort of um, big time for me because it, the early 90s is when I was in high school and so this is when I was first really getting into movies as like a... a I know, I'm very young. As a, as a big, <laughs> big, big... <laughs> but it was, it, was the, it was that period where I was starting to pivot more from just, oh yeah, I watch movies to this is actually something that I really, really am passionate about and want to get Tell you what, James, into. one minute before the news... When you first saw Conan the Barbarian, just curious what you thought. Because it is considered a cult movie. It is. It was a little bit baffling to me at the t- time when I first saw it. It was a little bit too too dark and weird and scary. The, the, actually, the one that I liked, and I'll lose a few points here, I preferred the sequel, oh, yeah. Conan the, the Destroyer, Destroyer, the one with... <laughs> 
with um with Grace Jones and um and Mako and and other other people like that in it. I was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan at that time. He yeah. was like my my first favorite actor. Okay. And so I was just buying up all his movies were available cheap on VHS. I was just buying up all of them. And that's one of the ones that I just used to watch over and over and over again. It's not great at all. Uh but uh you know the... <laughs> Well, uh What's your what's your favourite Peterson movie? We're going to go to the news in just a second. Find us on Facebook Live. Chip in. Always wonderful to hear what you have to say. James, go and get a cup of tea, and we'll be back in just a little while. Radio three. Right. I just want to. I'll let I'll let James out in a minute. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, I've got our newsy thing on, so because he's doing awful things to his nose as we speak. Yeah, I want to say hi and good hey. afternoon. To, no, all right then. Here you go. Hello to Tommy. He says I've got that tune from the Never Ending Story going through my head now. Never Ending Story. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go, Tommy. Have a lovely day, Tom. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Right, James, what do you want to do? Join us on Facebook Live. He's going to get into the goodies in just a second. Uh, yes, let's talk about Nope, which is the big new movie from Jordan Peele. So Jordan Peele, I mean, his career is pretty astonishing, really. You know, he came up as a comedian, one half of the double act, Key and Peele. Yep. And then just sort of decided, I'm going to, I'm going to make movies now. Uh, and not not comedies, but I'm going to make horror movies mm -hmm. there is a lot of dark humor in his films but he burst onto the filmmaking scene with get out yes that was like this you know searing r-rated scary darkly comic movie about race in 21st century america and it was a huge financial success and it also race uh, and a massive uh what did that just happen element to it well, this is it, and this is something that you will see continue throughout all of his films. This is his third film now, Nope. It's just the level of degree of imagination. So many films come out these days, you know, where they're, they're fairly derivative at the end. They might have like a new hook or just, a, you know, one playful little idea. But by and large, you'll see them again and again fall back on tropes familiar with the slasher genre or... Uh, you know the this alien invasion movie or what have you, and you'd be like, oh yeah, good, okay, that he's obviously seen that movie and seen that movie, he's done that. From that. But Jordan Peele's movies are so startlingly original, just in their storytelling as well as in their approach and execution, mm -hmm. that he really is quickly sort of cementing himself as one of the most consistently remarkable filmmakers to come out of the U.S in the last sort of decade or so. I mean, so Get Out, you know, he won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, rightly so. Uh, maybe in a more daring year, it might have even gone all the way on one Best Picture, um, but did great. And then Us, very bizarre movie uh, starring Lupita Nyong'o which, uh, and Winston Duke, which you definitely need to check out if you haven't. So now he comes to Note, which is essentially uh, an alien invasion film in the in the mold of something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm. It zeroes in, in the um, you know, Californian Valley, uh, zeroes in on a brother-sister team, OJ and Emerald Hayward, played by Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, who run Hayward Hollywood Horses, which is a ranch on the outskirts of LA where they train 
horses for movies okay. essentially yeah. show horses stunt horses uh this is a business that they've grown up in inherited from their father who has recently passed away and it's left them at a bit of a loss of where to go you know business is not booming as it once was and so financially they're at kind of loggerheads do we want to continue this are we able to continue this or should we just kind of sell up and um and move on with our lives at which point strange things start happening in the sky above them in the clouds mm-hmm. uh not just at night either and their horses start sort of disappearing now i don't really want to get into too much of the plot really because i think people who have watched jordan peele's films know that uh you know the, the twists and turns of the story are very much part of the uh, the enjoyment factor mm. uh, and this is certainly the case and i think that one of the things that I liked as much as I did about the film is that it, it's not the film that I thought it was. It's not the film I expected it to be. I was like, okay, here we go. Alien invasion, you know, and obviously sort of African-American characters front and center cause it's Jordan Peele, but it's going to be a fairly kind of humorous, um, version of kind of independence day or something. Uh, it's not that at all. It's that absolutely. It's not that it's something far more layered, far more intelligent, far more, audio and visually uh immersive uh this is all shot on imax cameras by hoyt van hoytema who is hoyt van hoytema i think he's i want to say he's swiss uh he is christopher nolan's go-to cinematographer so he's shot interstellar and dunkirk and tenet he also shot um spectre you know, not the best Bond movie, but certainly a really good-looking Bond movie. Uh, he shot a bunch of other stuff. I want to say that he... Um, anyway, yeah, he's shot, shot a lot of great stuff. He's obviously worked a lot on IMAX cameras. And Peel here was really concerned about capturing the vast sort of emptiness of this sort of wilderness Wild West, if you like. Yeah. Uh, that, that exists even today just outside, um, just outside the city. And... Uh, so he needed sort of these big cameras and big lenses in order to do that. Now, what the film manages to do is it manages to be very funny. Uh, it also manages to be quite scary in places and visually quite sort of upsetting. There are a number of visual motifs, not least a sequence where they're trapped in their house and something from high above them is just raining detritus, for want of a better phrase, down on their house. In a, in a sort of liquidy form that is kind of streaking their windows like blood. And it almost feels like something out of The Shining. You know, that sequence of The Shining where like, the lift doors open and just, you know, a, a wave of blood cascades down the corridor. It reminded nice. me of that. You know, so there are moments of real, genuine kind of terror there. Uh, the banter between the brother and sister team is, uh, is, is, feels real. And it's also very funny, you know, that it's it's edged with obviously years of rivalry and conflict, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's underscored with affection. Speaking of score, the soundtrack to the movie is is great. One of the things that um Emerald, the, the sister, loves to do is just put on the old soul records, crank up the volume. Because they're in the middle of nowhere. There are no neighbors, basically. And so she can crank it up really loud. And so you've got these these great sort of soul classics from the 70s or whatever playing. And but they are recontextualized in a way that you're not used to sort of seeing them. You know, in a setting and in a scenario that you're not used to seeing them. And it gives them a whole sort of new life. There are 
there are other people that get drawn into their little investigation of what exactly is going on in the sky above them. Uh, you've got Brandon Perea, who plays his character called Angel, who basically works at the local Best Buy and sets them up with CCTV cameras around the whole ranch, but then just kind of hangs around, just stays where he is. Uh, they also recruit a, um, a veteran cinematographer, film, documentary filmmaker, who I think, played by Michael Wincott, who I think Michael Wincott is channeling Christopher Doyle in this. <laughs> yeah, Hong Kong's own Christopher Doyle. Um, in Antlers Holst, who is this guy, like I said, celebrated documentary. They're like, you must come and capture what what we are trying to see and i think capture is the appropriate word because as this is a jordan peele movie there are layers and themes and motifs and narratives going on un unspoken under the narrative under the surface so on the one hand you've got the hay the legacy of the hayward family yep you know emerald has this big spiel on set uh in the one of the opening scenes where she says that her great-great-grandfather was this was a guy who in the very first piece of film footage ever committed to to uh, celluloid mm -hmm. you see a black jockey on a horse just kind of going right. through. it's almost like a, zo a zoetrope she's like that was our great great grandfather and that's why we're still in like the horse industry you know the very first person on screen was was my great grandfather right riding a horse it you know it was the literal birth of cinema he was the very first movie star the very first stunt man and nobody knows who he is and through that there is a there is a commentary set in motion in the film all about sort of the legacy the legacy of hollywood and how it was built on sort of forgotten people not least uh black people african american people it obviously you know it's a jordan peele movie it does touch on race relations it does touch on slavery it does touch on you know america's tr troubled history with you know the 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 african american community with the black community and how their role has been uh, pivotal and largely forgotten there is a, a very clear sort of message through the film that stretches from uh the horses to the 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 whatever it is up in the sky that they are trying to capture all about you can't tame nature you can't tame these beasts. And, and obviously that has echoes into sort of slavery and into what have you, mm. that you can't keep a good man down, essentially, you know, and people are going to be what they want to be. Um, you've got Stephen Yun, who people know from Walking Dead and from Burning and, and what have you. He pops up. He is their kind of nearest neighbor who is obviously a Korean uh, immigrant um, who who has is suffering through a massive trauma and has sort of re invented himself as a kind of cowboy showman almost like um uh why you know what's his name wild wild bill, what's, wild bill who am yeah. i thinking of who's yeah wild bill hiccups who you know who was like this sort of cowboy showman and it's and so it has an interesting sort of dialogue with the film about the difference between cultural appropriation and community assimilation you know, where's the line between he's trying to be all American, but opting the most all American tropes in order to do that? And how successfully is he doing it? How successfully is he being accepted? His, his attempts to do that to be accepted. So there are lots and lots of different sort of topics and themes and narratives and ideas going on underneath. But on the surface, it really is just a roller coaster alien invasion ride that has some fantastic sort of action sequences some really imaginative visual representations of 
what it is up there in the sky that that, that is so coming good, down. Basically, I I was really pleasantly surprised. I mean, I thought you know, Jordan Peele, it's fairly safe hands. You know, it's going to be good, but you, it, it absolutely wasn't what I thought it was going to be, in all the best ways possible. I thought it was great. Lovely. Nope. Next. Nope is a big yes. Uh, okay, so also sci-fi, Alienoid. Alienoid is a new movie from uh, Choi Dong-hoon, who's a very successful South Korean filmmaker. Did The Thieves, did Assassination, Big Swindle. Basically, every movie he's ever, ever made has been a big hit, certainly in Korea, if not him. Yep. This takes place simultaneously in the present day. Uh, we've learned very quickly that an alien race lives among us, and what they're using Earth, essentially, as a prison, as a penal colony for their... Um, their POWs from this big intergalactic war that is going on elsewhere. And they are using humans as hosts in a kind of a invasion of the body snatchers kind of way mm -hmm. to dump alien prisoners in the, in the hosts of, uh, of, of humans, uh, unbeknownst to humanity. Uh, similar, and they've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they have a device that allows them to travel back in time to the Goryeo period, which is 14th century Korea, where they have also been doing the same thing, but where it is starting, prisoners are starting to escape both in the present and in the past. And they are certainly confusing the, the sort of Taoist wizards of the 14th century who don't know what this strange, bizarre magic that they're up against is. Yep. And in the present, uh, you've got the, a big sort of scary, violent alien invasion going on. It's, and it, what the film does is essentially it crosses those two timelines over. You've got the main character, um, is a uh, an, an alien who's just called Guard, and uh, he travels back and forth. Kim Woo Bin plays him. He, he travels back and forth between these time periods. He's getting a little bit um, lonely about having to sort of stay on Earth with only a robot that talks to him for company. Um, during an altercation back in the 14th century, they rescue a baby and bring it to Earth. It's now 10 years old, and it's kind of adoptive daughter of theirs. Uh, and like I said, in the past. You know, th these these sort of 14th century characters are starting to discover this alien technology that they don't know what to do with. Everybody gets sort of intertwined with each other. Great and it's setup. this big, it's a big sort of hugely ambitious movie that I don't think succeeds as well as it as it should. I think it gets by to a large part on just, it's, it's got lots of big stars in it. Kim Tae-ri is in it. Is is the time is the time tra the usual old thing? Is the time travel logic, if there is any, not there? Logic is 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 a big problem in this movie for a number of reasons. Not least the whole premise about these aliens using Earth as a penal colony, right. uh, when clearly they've used some kind of containment system to bring their prisoners to Earth in order to do it. Um, when the prisoners do escape and they're not able to put them back into their human host, they have another containment system that they can put the aliens in. So why not just use that containment system? Uh -huh. And why come to Earth in the first place? So there there are some there are some holes massive holes in the logic um but it is big kind of romping stupid uh fun and it's a rare foray into science fiction for korean cinema it should also be noted that this is only part one of the story so it ends on a big cliffhanger okay then okay so we uh so that's alienoid um it's a big romping mess quite frankly big romping but mess but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not terrible. All right, then. Uh, okay, I do want to talk about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. You know, we've got to stay up to date with all these Marvel things because there are so many of them now, and they all interweave and interlap and all the rest of it. Um, this is a new s series on uh, Disney+. Plus. 
covering Jessica, Jennifer Walters, who is um, the cousin of Bruce Banner. Yep. Now, this is a problem for Marvel because Marvel, due to the original rights where everything was scattered everywhere, they don't have the rights to do a standalone Hulk movie, which is why ever since the first Edward Norton one back in uh, 2008, which was a kind of co-production with Universal, uh, they haven't done one. They've done plenty of Hulk stories, not least uh, the Planet Hulk story in Thor Ragnarok. And, you know, Hulk is very much a prominent character, but they can't do, they're not, they're not allowed to do standalone Hulk movies because they don't have the rights to do right, that. Okay. So it was no surprise that they're launching She-Hulk because that is a way for Bruce Banner to be involved and for them to sort of do a bit of a story with him. Essentially, uh, yeah, they are related. They are cousins. And on a, on a trip abroad, there's a car crash that might have involved an alien spaceship. Might. In which uh, his blood gets into her blood, essentially, and she becomes a Hulk. However, she has no interest in becoming like an Avenger or a superhero or anything like that. She has just passed the bar exam and she's just got a job as a lawyer in a firm in L.A. And she wants to be a lawyer. She's also single and a sassy, you know, woman about town. And that's all she wants to do. And that is very much the tone of the show. It feels like Ally McBeal or Sex and the City. Do you remember the very first season of Sex and the City. Oh, I, I, I yes. I when, mean, yeah. where the, there was a conceit where Sarah Jessica Parker would turn to, and address the camera. She would talk to camera. Okay. After the first season, they kind of ditched it. They kind of got rid of that and it just carried on as a normal kind of comedy drama thing. Yeah. And I think there was a bit of that in Ally McBeal or certainly some kind of fourth wall breaking. This goes full blown fourth wall breaking. Okay. She is talking, she's aware that she is in a TV show. She is aware uh, that, you know, that that, that there is an audience watching her and she talks to us regularly throughout. What do you think of that? The first episode is... Does it get a bit much? (laughs) It's it's a gamble. You know, this is written um, by, among other people, Jennifer Gow, who wrote a lot of Rick and Morty. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of kind of smart humour in her work. And we're starting to see glimpses of that. I've actually seen a couple of episodes of this now. Only the first episode is available. So I've got to be careful that I don't weigh any spoilers of what is to come. Sure. Suffice to say that, um, you know, Mark Ruffalo's character uh, features here, but it's not his story. It's very much Tatiana Maslany's story. People know her from Orphan Black. She won an Emmy for that. And... It's it's all about just her as, attempting to not to, attempting to avoid having her life derailed by the fact that she can now at will turn into a kind of sort of seven foot at will. She-Hulk at will at will. You see, the, yeah, there's a joke in it about how uh, it's all about you know you only turn into it when you're, when you're angry. Don't make me angry. And she's like, well, I'm I'm a woman. I'm a woman in the law, working in a law firm. I'm angry all the time. Yeah. You know, or I've learned how to deal with my anger on a daily basis when people sort of. Uh, talked out to me. And there's a lot of very, um, <clears throat> how to put it, uh, uh, you know, a post Me Too era di- uh, dialogues and conversations about what it's like to be, you know, a single woman in mm-hmm. the world today in a power position. Uh, the actress has pushed back about, um, about this trope called strong female lead. Strong female lead just seems to be a trope that, uh, that Hollywood is like, really trying to embrace and promote right now. And she's like, she says she she doesn't like that. That's not a genre. You know, that should just be uh, every female character when appropriate. You know, the fact you don't have a strong male lead as a, as a type of movie. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it's true. So, so she definitely has a point. Um, 
the the series is a little unwieldy it's far more of a straight-up comedy than i think people have been used to in this series um it does seem to be where marvel is willing to uh to tackle its female fronted storylines you know we've had miss marvel we've had wandavision uh hawkeye arguably was really about kate bishop rather than clinton barton so I'm, I'm interested to see where where this is going to land with people because it's kind of like a lawyer show. You know, it's a comedy lawyer show. It's like Ali McBeal, really, more than anything Without else. Without all the falling over. No, there's plenty of falling over, but they fall through walls rather than uh, just gotcha. a- against yeah. them. <laughs> uh, and I think it's very much aware that those are the kind of comparisons that it's going to uh, it's gonna provoke. Uh, but we, you are seeing... You do see a lot of... Um, marvel cameos you know she recognizes she acknowledges at one point she's like this is a tv show you know and i know that a lot of these kind of tv shows have the special guest star trope and she even says to camera at one point she's like well i want to make sure that we avoid this idea of just having like a a, one avenger pop up every week although it kind of does (laughs) well that's the gag isn't Um, it that is the gag i mean there's there's also been a lot of uh, talk early on about this quality of the cgi uh in the final project product it's better uh, it kind of helps being seen on the small screen rather than on um, a big screen. It's it's perfectly fine. It's not distracting. Mm. Um, so it's it's yet another kind of uh, big swing, shall we say, for the uh, for the Marvel TV universe. Uh, I bet loads of people watch it though. I bet people get into this. I think I I want people to watch it. I think they should because I want I really want to know how what people feel about it because. I'm not overly invested in in these shows. I watch them all because otherwise I'm going to have too many questions after the movies. Yep. But I found it I found it kind of goofy fun, really. All right then. Well, let us park the ride. Remind us what we have been talking you have been <clears throat> been talking about today. Okay, so that's She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which is dropping new episodes every Thursday on Disney yep. Plus. We also had Alienoid, which is this big sort of jumble of genres uh korean sci-fi martial arts adventure thing yep uh uh, but by far by far if you're going to go see one thing this weekend go and see nope the new jordan peele movie because it's quite something brilliant let's leave it there thanks a lot james marshy movie time will return (laughs) 